Let's pray together as we uh, come to God's Word. Father, would you use this time that we have together in your Word to build in us faith, hope, and love for one another. Help us to focus tonight. Help us to delight in your goodness to us and marvel at your grand plan of redemption. Thank you that you did not leave us without instruction and a written explanation of this world, how to understand it, and how to best love you and one another in it. We pray that you would give us hearts that are eager to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So my assignment tonight is to teach on the theme of friendship from the book of Proverbs. Uh, this is the second to last in our themes from Proverbs series. It's been so awesome to hear from our church staff brothers on different topics and themes from this book. Uh, we've got one left next week. This is a, a different kind of sermon preparation-wise. Uh, instead of looking at a portion of the text and trying to convey the message that God has for us, we've been offering an overview of Proverbs teaching on these different topics. So our summary is, is like a distillation. I feel a little bit like a, like a scientist uh, sorting through data and looking for patterns and tracing out what they mean. Um, and the Lord uh, has um, used uh, Pastor Jason's sermon uh, in a very encouraging way to me. I'm, I'm going to say a lot of the things that he said this morning. That feels confirming to me. Like, well, that was, I'm doing pretty well. Um, and, and that is not by any plan of our own. That's simply God's providence as, uh, as we have worked through this series. So that, that seems like an encouragement to us. Um, what I'd like to do is first survey that, that data a little bit about the word friend in Proverbs, and then zero in on what seems to be the most important thing to focus on and draw out some principles to consider as we relate to one another, particularly in the church. What does the data tell us? Uh, the English word friend is used in Proverbs to translate three different uh, related Hebrew words. Three kinds of relationships that are related but not exactly the same. A couple times in chapter 16, verse 28, and 17, verse 9, you have a word that is translated close friends. This is your partner, your, your close confidant. The, the other ox in the metaphorical yoke of your life, someone who might as well be related to you, you're so close. So 16.18 says, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. So in that uh, proverb, we're being shown the destructiveness of gossip, saying unfounded uncertain or untrue things about someone else has the potential 
to break up even the closest of friends. So Proverbs 16, 8, 28 is telling us, don't be like that. Keep that mouth shut. Uh, a second idea that is translated as friend, again, just a couple of times, is someone who loves you. Chapter 14, verse 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. That is, faithful are the wounds of someone who loves you. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This is such a beautiful and profound truth. You get yourself friends who will encourage you and care for you, but especially care enough for you to tell you when you are wrong. People who only say the things that you like, uh, things like, you, you should do whatever you want, or you only live once, or things like this, are what we call yes-men, and yes-men are a threat to your soul. Um, I'm going to take a little liberty here and give a mini bonus sermon to my young friends who are here tonight, um, unrelated to the rest of the sermon, just a little bonus for you. Um, and that is, this verse in particular should put that disagreement that you are having with your parents right now in a pretty stark light. I'm not saying that your parents are infallible or that they don't sin, but do not sleep on the wisdom of God, of the people that God made, designed to love you more than anyone else on the earth. You've got some decision to make, something that you want to do, and they're telling you that whatever it is, this thing, that thing, is a bad idea. Listen if you know what's good for you, even if it hurts. Faithful are the wounds of someone who loves you. Okay, bonus sermon over. Back to the normal sermon. So, these two definitions are what I mean when I use the word friend. When I talk about uh, a friend, this is what I mean. But interestingly, um, Proverbs only uses it in those senses uh, four times. Um, the word friend is all over Proverbs, but this kind of um, person who is in my family, who I care about, who I have warm feelings for, who I would choose to be with if I was able to choose, this kind of friendship is not what's most commonly talked about in Proverbs. Um, and I'd like to spend the rest of our time on the most frequent usage of that word. Proverbs usually uses the word friend to mean something more like your people. Uh, this is somebody who belongs to you. Another translation of this concept would be neighbor, uh, fellow countryman. Jason excellently laid out this, this morning the degrees of who is your neighbor. Family, church family, others who are around you. I want us to think mostly tonight about this second category, your church family. Uh, these are people that you belong to and that belong to you, your people. 
uh, I would like to suggest that the most important sense in which these people belong to you is their relation to you as a part of the covenant people of God. Thus, your friends, your neighbors, according to Proverbs, are other believers with whom you fellowship. Now, the principles we talk about will uh, certainly be applied to, they can be applied to any relationships, and certainly the Bible teaches that Christians are supposed to show good character and love to everyone, but I don't think it's a mistake that Proverbs is more often than not concerned with how the community of God treats one another. God is concerned with how you treat your family, God is concerned with what kind of citizen you are, and God is concerned with how you treat your brothers and sisters in the faith. These relationships are important and are meant to be a source of great growth and comfort for you. The vast majority of the tangible and observable blessings that God will bring into your life will be through his people. It seems like we, we spend a lot of time thinking and talking about uh, the family sphere and how to do that well. We certainly spend a lot of time thinking about the political sphere, uh, who's advocating the best policies. Um, and, we, and we even think about people who are outside of the church. How do we, how do we reach out? How do we uh, evangelize? But, but how often do we think about the duty we have to one another, to one another in this room? Uh, you and I have a duty to God to treat one another well and to look out for one another's growth and health. If you need convincing of this, um, go back in time about eight, nine hours and listen to the sermon from this morning. That'll, that'll convince you pretty well. Uh, and I, I will just summarize it with Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. That word especially needs to mean something in your life and in my life. It should be a value that we have and a reality that we pursue. So, my friends, what I have for you tonight are three things you should do and three things you shouldn't. You can think of these as six duties to your brothers and sisters in Christ uh, that are laid out for us in the book of Proverbs. Three things you should do, three things you shouldn't. First, you should be generous with one another. Proverbs 14.21 says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the afflicted. So think about this. In Proverbs, the, the most often, the, or, well, we find the, the truest sense, the, the meaning in the juxtaposition. So here, the juxtaposition is made between someone who hates his neighbor and someone who is generous to those in need. At first glance, we read this proverb forward, and we, are, we, we, feel, we think we're being warned against hate. Fair enough, but the juxtaposition is really where this proverb gets its meaning, its full meaning. The opposites are the blessed man who is generous to someone, 
and the sinner who hates his neighbor. This is saying that if you know that your brother or sister in Christ is in need, and you have the ability to alleviate that need, and you do nothing to help, it is a sin. We must hold our possessions very lightly and be eager to share. This is, by definition, difficult and costly, but it is the calling of one believer with another. Certainly referring to poor people, but there are all kinds of afflictions and ways to care for those in need. Our, our church, you all, do a, such a good job here with this. When one of our own goes through a terrible grief, there are just 50 people ready to serve and serve in the most practical and helpful ways. I was speaking with someone just this week who has recently gone through a terrible, terrible loss, and we together, they and us, were, were marveling at how you feel the presence of the Lord through the great blessing of his people, praying, serving. I remember when we were going through a terrible time as a family, and someone who knew about it from our church came over and just shoveled our walk on a particularly snowy day. Do you, do you get how encouraging that is on, on that kind of day? Uh, so URC, you are an example of this. Let's continue in these ways. If we're made aware of a need of one of our people, we're responsible for, before God to help. We are talking about money and food and clothes here, but more than that, we're talking about well-being. We're talking growth. We're talking maturity. We don't have a ton of poor people in our church. Uh, to be fair, there aren't a ton in the area close to our church, but there are. They are around, and they are here among us, and they are here in the community. Poverty is complicated, but it seems simple. The problem is a lack of money, so throw money at it. Uh, problem solved. Almost never. Some people don't even know how to take responsibility for themselves, don't know how to work. These last two generations of men have grown up without fathers. Uh, and there is a severe lack of people to teach these generations these sorts of skills. Friends, part of what it means to be generous to the poor among us is to commit to them and to commit to helping them grow into people who can care for themselves and their families. That's not money, that's training and discipleship. Uh, business owners, that's hiring, that's teaching. I drove past uh, Tom Manich's old house this week. Tom was a faithful elder in our church many years ago. He and his wife have since been gone to be with the Lord. And when I was a poor young dad, he called me up and he asked if he could hire me to come over and to his house and put some tar spots on his roof. I was confused because I didn't know anything about putting tar spots on roofs. I didn't know how I could be a help, but that didn't matter to Tom. He knew where it needed to go, but frankly, he was too old to go up on the roof. So he hired me to climb up 
there and told me exactly what to do. I, w I wonder if you can see in this instance how Tom helped. He had a need. He said to himself, okay, who do I know who needs a little cash and a little training and responsibility? And he called me up. What I want you to see is that our generosity toward our people extends beyond money. It includes money, but if your people are hungry, you should feel the Lord prompting you to act, but your responsibility to your people is to help them grow into people who can care for themselves and for others. So here's, a, here's my summary statement for this one. Because they are your people, you should be generous with them. Second thing you should do, we should rely on one another. This is the, last, the other side of that last principle. Proverbs 27.10 says, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. So I want you to think about that situation. Some calamity has hit, and you are in dire need. This proverb says, don't call your family who are far away. Call your people who are near. It isn't that it's wrong to call your brother for help. The proverb is using the obviousness of the truth, you call your family for help, to illustrate that you have brothers here. You have brothers nearby. You and I are meant to help one another in big and little ways, and this means that we should seek to be a special service to our brothers and sisters in the body, but it also means that we must not be too proud to take help when it is offered. Hear me say this. We are here and we are eager to help. This one can be hard to swallow for the person who's actually in need, for whatever reason. It might be sinful pride. Uh, but think about it from the other side. Think about a person who's here tonight, uh, maybe a student who needs a ride home and is too embarrassed to ask for one. All of you are like, what? Of course I'll give you a ride home. Of course. Think about... Uh, someone who was going home tonight and skipping dinner because they don't get paid until tomorrow. Everyone in the room wants to help. Think about maybe a family who uh, couldn't afford new fall clothes for their children. Some of you families with a, a ton of kids are like, we have a ton of clothes, <laughs> right? We want to help. It is a blessing to us to help. So then, why would you take that blessing from us by hiding, by hiding your need, right? If we are called by God to especially care for one another, that means at least some of the time, you are being called to be the one who is cared for. Uh, two more quick things that I want to point out on this proverb. Um, well, three more. One, calamity is what I call my wife when she makes trouble. <laughs> um, two, we should understand uh, that this is a greater and lesser sort of argument. 
Um, that is, if it is true about an emergency situation, a calamity, it's surely true of a lesser situation. If it's true that you shouldn't be too proud to look to your brothers and sisters in Christ when your house burns down, it is also true you shouldn't be too proud to look for the, to them when you need a ride to work, right? Second, young people, I want you to note the specific phrase that says, do not forsake your father's friend. You may not know it, but there are a lot of people at your home church who care for you and are praying for you and love you and want what's best for you. Uh, you also need to not be too proud to take that help. Uh, graduating people, think about that. All right, here's my summary of this second principle. Because they are your people, you should ask them for help. Third thing we should do, we should be honest with one another. Proverbs 27.9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Again, the word here is the word neighbor, the word your people. The sweetness of a brother and sister in Christ is in their earnest counsel. Earnest counsel is true, and earnest counsel is sincere. It is offered from a place of love and a desire for the good of your brother or sister, for the good in their life. Christians need to lovingly, gently, with humble hearts, be straight with one another. This means a couple things. One, we should be honest about ourselves uh, with one another. I was at a meeting recently, and one of the members of the meeting, the group, said, listen, I, we're all here to do something, and I am struggling to do it, and I really need your, your prayers. Um, it was vulnerable, it was honest, it was risky, but there's a sense in which it was leadership because the truth is the rest of us were also struggling and for some reason needed permission to say it, right? Uh, to admit it. Uh, we need to be open, we need to be willing to say uh, what is truly going on with us. The other thing that it means is that we need to be willing to say hard things to each other in love. Nobody likes this. Uh, if you do like this, you're doing it wrong. When I was uh, an undergrad, I, I asked Tom Stark for some advice. I was taking second year Greek, and it was really, really hard. But I really, really wanted to take it. I, I didn't want to take it. I wanted to have taken it, if that makes sense. Uh, I asked Tom for some advice, um, and I'm thinking, uh, Tom is, he values education, he values theology, this is the right person to ask for what I'm... <laughs> um, I said, Tom, I'm, I'm uh, working on this homework two to three hours a night, sometimes more, and I have little kids at home and a full-time job. And Tom uh, did not even hesitate or think about it longer than three seconds and said, you need to drop that class. Uh, you don't have two to three hours a night uh, for Greek. You need to drop that class. I look back on that advice as sweet perfume. At the time, I didn't like it. I didn't want to hear it. I was disappointed. It complicated my plans. 
The wounds of a friend can be trusted. It's important here, I think, to talk about disagreements. Christians are going to disagree with one another on lots of things, uh, many things that are not really important. You can just chalk it up to living closely with people who are different. When our kids were little, they used to run around the church a lot. We were one of those parents who were just like, go, have fun. You know, don't scream too loud, that, that, that kind of. Um, and then there would be visitors who would come and they would get down to their kids and say, this is a very special place. Do not run in this place. What am I going to do, argue with them about that? I mean, that's, that's ridiculous, right? That's something you just get over. What, what we did do was say to our children, uh, you are not to run around right now because those kids are here and that would be tempting them to sin. So you are going to walk around. Um, those parents were probably right in retrospect, but uh, never mind. You, you roll with little differences. Sometimes the matters on which we disagree, disagree are important. Our culture today is all about canceling one another for holding to one conviction or another. This is not the way it should be in the church. If you've got a disagreement on an issue that is important to you, uh, maybe it's so important that it gets in the way of your fellowship, then you have an obligation to work on it with those whom you disagree. Writing somebody off because they are just one of those crazies in whatever direction you want to point them is not an option for believers in the church. Conflict is inevitable among God's people, which is why the Bible is not vague about how we're supposed to handle disagreements. This is your brother. You have to live with him. If his thinking about this is wrong and you can see that, who is going to help him see correctly, if not you. Odds are you probably need to correct some of yours thinking, and none of that is going to happen if we are too timid to speak and too timid to disagree. You might say, well, I tried to talk with them on Facebook, and it didn't go very well. That doesn't count. Did you hear me say that? <laughs> that does not count. Social media does not count. Make a coffee date or at least a phone call and talk it out. Here's my summary for this section. Because they are your people, you should speak humbly and honestly with them. So number four is the first of the don'ts, which is really a subheading under number three, so it's shorter. Yay! Uh, number four is we should not make our disagreements public. Proverbs 25, 7 to 10 says, What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret. Lest he, he, he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. Okay, so certainly this proverb is warning against suing someone in your church. But the principle here applies to the seeking of any kind of judgment. If you have a problem with someone, you have to talk about it with them. 
not with others. In fact, no one else should really know about your problem with someone in the church unless you have talked to that person. Um, I want you to see that the motivation in this proverb against talking with others about a concern you have with someone is self-protection. Haven't you, I have, haven't you had times in your life where you were concerned or upset about something that someone said or did, and then you found out that you were absolutely wrong? You have to talk with someone plainly and clearly before uh, you talk to others. You don't actually know what someone really thinks or really feels until you've talked to them. The summary for this one is, because they are you, your people, you must protect their name. Next, we should not belittle one another. Proverbs 11:12 said, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. So this one and the next one, you guys are saying, uh, this is obvious, Dave, why would we do that? I don't know. This is a very sarcastic time in which we live. Cutting remarks make people laugh and gain followers. Let's, let's be honest, uh, people are irritating sometimes. But we all know what belittling means, right? It is taking someone whom we should treat with a certain amount of respect and making them very small. Perhaps we should treat them with kindness and patience, but they're so awkward that we laugh at them. Or uh, perhaps we should take their opinion as weighty, but we take it as light because we're angry with them. Perhaps we should honor them as people made in God's image, but we call them names because we don't like what they say. Uh, don't shoot the messenger here. This proverb says that belittlers are dumb. Not very smart. Lack sense. The juxtaposition is a man of understanding. I think you already know this. Uh, the loudest people with the meanest rhetoric are usually the ones who don't have cogent things to say. Saying mean things loudly is a juvenile attention-getting strategy. So what should you do instead? This proverb says, main, remain quiet. I think it's trying to emphasize the foolishness of the belittler, saying nothing is better than what you are saying right now. But in terms of how should we as believers speak to one another, we've already talked about some of that, but 1 Thessalonians 5.11 is a helpful guide. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. What's encouraging about this, at least to me, is there's room for playful conversation when you have encouraged and built up. Does that make sense? I'm a teaser. I'm a joker. I, I, um, but hopefully I, have, I go there after I have spent the time communicating to the person I'm going to be playful with 
that I love, respect, and care for them. Hopefully what they hear from me is, uh, this, this guy likes me and is, is having fun, right? This is how we want uh, to interact with one another. We want to build one another up. This means uh, encourage what is good and right in them, what is godly and um, Christ-like in them. It, it means listen and respect what they say. Um, build one another up. The summary statement for this is, because they are your people, you should build them up with your words. Uh, and the last one, again, you're going you're gonna to be like, Dave, what, what are, why are you saying this? We should not plan evil against one another. Pretty obvious, right? We shouldn't. Um, Proverbs 3.29 says, Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. It's so obvious, then it's not going to be hard for you guys to see the truth here. What's the contrast? The contrast here, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you, is the plans and the trust. Your neighbor trusts you and you have pl evil plans. Do you see, your neighbor, your Christian brother or sister, expects to be able to trust you. If they open up to you about their struggles or needs or anxieties, they expect to be able to trust you, Christian brother, Christian sister, with those things. They expect that you won't gossip about them or sit in judgment over them or somehow use their vulnerability against them. That means that you have the Christian duty, loving your neighbor as yourself, to be worthy of that trust to, and to repent when you're not. How about uh, that hard-to-love sister on a Sunday who is talking to you again when you are thinking about talking to your friend? Now, is it evil to talk to your friend? Of course not. But, but what do you call a desire to escape awkward uh, and putting that above the needs of a lonely person. What do you call that? I really hope that so-and-so isn't in my small group because they're so weird. That's not who we are in this family, brothers and sisters. We have to do better for one another because our Lord is better than that. Our value for one another has to be higher because of Jesus. The people of God are a gift to you, each one of them. God is telling you to live in love and understanding with them. God intends for you to be shaped by them and formed by interacting with them, learning from them, teaching them, agreeing with them, disagreeing with them. We have to live in thanksgiving uh, of, of this truth, no matter the form that it comes. You think about Paul said he was able to give thanks in every circumstance. Can you, can I thank God 
for every member of my church? If the answer is no, I, I want to challenge you that it, that should not be. Um, and I challenge you to work on that with the Lord this week in your, in your time of prayer. Uh, we should thank the Lord that he has given us this community of believers. Uh, the summary statement here is, because they are your people, you should work to be worthy of their trust. Um, I have just a, a final thought to close here, and it is uh, from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, which says, uh, it's, it, this is a, a beautiful proverb. It is a puzzling proverb. I think you'll see. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I say that this proverb is puzzling because it is not immediately clear what's being said here. It's, is it saying that everybody gets a best friend? A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer to a, than a brother. Doesn't seem like that's it. Is it saying that as friends we should stick closer than a brother? We should be good friends? I mean, that I think is true, but I don't think that's what's being said. The word here translated companions is the same word that we've been looking at in all of these other proverbs. It is your people. A man of many people may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Um, I think what, what we have here in this verse then is that even a good thing, like having lots of trustworthy, loving people in your church, isn't ultimately where our security should come from, right? Um, we want you to be good and love one another well in Christ's name, but that isn't our hope that you will someday get there. Does that make sense? Uh, our hope is in Jesus. And, and the friend here who sticks closer than a brother, whose identity is not stated, surely is Jesus, right? Jesus is the friend. Jesus is the comfort. Uh, this church may not go perfectly, but Jesus is always our comfort. Um, so be good, brothers and sisters, to one another. It's good for our church, but it isn't our church's hope. Indeed, our hope is not in that we will one day all be good together, although we will in glory. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time to think about our relationships. Thank you that you would work in us to be better than we are and better than we deserve. Let us look to you as our model of faithfulness and have your attitude toward every one of your people.
Let us love them because you love them. Let us humbly serve them because you are in them. And let us put their good above our own because that is what you did. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.